The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day, and Merry Christmas to all of you. Coming up on our program today as we wrap up a busy week, we're going to talk with Brian Keel, co-executive director of Farmers for Free Trade, as the push continues to try to get a vote this year in Congress on the U.S. MCA trade deal. We'll talk about that. We'll talk markets with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services and another update on the propane situation. We'll talk with Michael Newland with the Propane Education and Research Council. But we're going to start today's program off talking with Bill Northey, USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation. Because coming up on Monday, the first general sign-up for the Conservation Reserve Program gets underway, the first general sign-up in four years. There's expected to be a lot of interest in this, given the ag economy as it is, and the fact that there's more room, uh, more acres going to be allowed in the CRP, and the number of expiring contracts uh, this year and next. So it is expected to be a lot of interest. Let's talk about that now. Bill, thank you for joining us. Uh, what, do, what do landowners need to know about this sign-up that begins on Monday? Well, it'll start on Monday and end on February 28th, so it'll be open for three months here. Um, but we encourage folks to uh, to slip in and get some more information that the um, that Types of CRP that will be accepted are very similar to the uh, the types in the past. There's been very little change there, uh, according to the Environmental Benefits Index. Uh, there is a cap on rental rates, um, uh, so that uh, you cannot uh, have a rental rate for general enrollment CRP of greater than 85 percent of your county soil rental rate. We are also opening up. The continuous enrollment sign-up, the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program sign-ups as well. So uh, those will be rolling, and, and would, those will continue after that February 28th date. Now, I mentioned that uh, you have a number of expiring contracts, some 800,000 acres of land expiring this fall, and contracts on an additional 5.2 million acres to expire September of next year. So that uh, kind of indicates right there you've got more room, plus the extra room that's been added on uh, as far as raising the cap. Uh, we do, Mike. You're right. Um, there's going to be a large amount of acres that uh, we'll have room to, or we'll be able to, uh, folks will be able to compete for. So that's 6 million acres uh, of expiring, uh, just, just expired, and next uh, fall expiring, as well as uh, the cap for 2021, which is when these contracts will start, October 1, 2020, um, the the cap for that fiscal year is uh, 25 million acres versus the 24 million acres we're at right now, and we have about 21.3 million acres. So we have the uh, the space between that 21.3 and the 25 plus the expiring contracts, which will 
create more space so you can see there's lots of room now. Also, many of those folks with those expiring contracts, I think, will be interested, uh, or at least some of them will be interested in potentially competing uh, for sign-up again. But we've had a lot of acres, I think, that folks have not had a chance. Uh, even when we had our last general enrollment sign-up, uh, because the last farm bill was decreasing the amount of acres available, it was a very small sign-up. So, Any thoughts on how close to the cap you may get to this in this sign-up? You know, I, I don't know. It, it really depends how the bids come back. Uh, we expect there to be a lot of interest and very competitive bids. Um, we will look, and if there's if there's a reason to believe that that some of those bids are just too expensive for the amount of gain that there is, we'll certainly stop well short of the cap. But but uh, no reason uh, not to accept competitive bids. Uh, certainly very interested in being able to uh, allow folks to be able to get their land into CRP if they're interested, and in, and it's a a good opportunity for, for uh, the rest of us to be able to have some sensitive land uh, put into CRP. So we will retain a little bit of space, of course, for continuous enrollment and conservation reserve enhancement acres. Those are open continuously. Um, and then each year of this farm bill, we will um, have a general enrollment CRP sign-up. So we'll have another sign-up a year from now as well. Um, for the acres that expire the following year and any room underneath that cap that we would still have at that time. We're talking with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northy about the general CRP sign-up that begins on Monday. Now, you do have a couple of uh, uh, new pilot programs. Uh, tell us about those. We do. We have uh, um, a soil health incentive a pilot program, which will be offered regionally, um, and uh, it's a it's a less than ten year program. Uh, it allows some hay and grazing on those acres. Uh, that will come out after um, uh, the, this sign up is done. Uh, we have a grassland sign up uh, that is going on as well. Um, that will come out after uh, this sign up is done uh, too. So. There'll be a few pieces like that. Um, those will be more localized in what they're being offered. Um, most of that uh, we'll let folks see if they're successful in the general enrollment uh, and, then, and then do some of the sign-ups for the other programs as we go along. So, again, the sign-up, general sign-up, uh, starts on Monday. will end February 28th. The continuous sign-up will be ongoing and a separate enrollment period for the grasslands part of this will be in March, starts in March, right? That's right. That's right. That will run from March 16th through May 15th. So, uh, again, the, the CRP rates are capped at 85% of the local cropland rental rates for the general sign-up, 90% of the rental rates for acreage enrolled under the continuous sign-up, and all that information posted at the uh, FSA's uh, website. Is that right? It is. Uh, you, I should be able to find it, I think, on farmers.gov or right to FSA itself. I'm sure if you uh, look at CRP and uh, uh, USDA, you'll, you'll get that information in your search engine. Our folks are ready. Um, we've had training. Uh, we did national training, actually joint training this time with both FSA and NRCS together. Um, for that training, and then we did our state trainings uh, after that that national training uh, with the FSA and NRCS staff together as well. So uh, we heard very good reports on that. 
um, it, it's nice for each each of the folks to be able to know um, what the other other folks are needing to do. I think most folks are aware you sign up for the CRP program at the FSA. The, the technical assistance uh, is done at NRCS, so we hand it off to NRCS, and then it hands back to FSA uh, to complete and, and make the final selection. So um, it is one of those examples of why an FPAC works very well, a coordination uh, in the same mission area, um, even the same IT development system um, for for both FSA and NRCS. All right, Bill, thank you very much for your time. And again, the sign-up for CRP begins on Monday. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Bill Northey. Stay with us. We'll talk trade next on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the push is on to try to get USMCA up for a vote this year. Sometimes it feels like it's an uphill push. Let's talk about it with Brian Keel, co-executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know you're doing all you can to push this thing forward. Um what do you think are the chances that time's running out before they go on their Christmas break? Can you get it done? I think we can. Uh, time is running out, and it's an all-hands-on-deck kind of moment. But, but I think if we all push hard, we can get this deal across the finish line. You've had a number of uh, members of Congress and in other industries uh, speaking up about the importance of this. It's been a kind of a, a full-court press. We're about to see if uh, that's going to be enough. Uh, that's true. And uh, Farmers for Free Trade, we're doing a number of things to try to help get it across the finish line. Uh, we've launched radio ads in 20 congressional districts, uh, uh, focusing primarily on swing Democratic votes, uh, asking those Democratic members to cross the aisle and vote for this trade agreement. Um, we're also hitting ag conventions. I was at uh, Michigan Farm Bureau yesterday. I'll be at Texas Farm Bureau tomorrow and Illinois Farm Bureau on Sunday. So we're we're burning up some, some airline miles, but it's important. We're, uh, we're talking with farmers and making sure they're reaching out and talking to their members of Congress. We keep hearing about still these ongoing concerns about uh, different things in Mexico. and We've heard some in Mexico say, you know, can't be changing things uh, too much here at the last, and they're doing things, but some in the House, some House Democrats saying it's not enough or they don't trust them. I mean, that sounds like a lot of baggage here right at the end when we are running out of time. Well, that's right. Uh, but, you know, trade deals, if you look at, at, at history, trade deals tend to come together at the last minute. Uh, they, they usually happen 
a couple days before Congress recesses, they tend to go right up to the wire, and they tend to pass by one or two votes. I mean, they're always close. Um, so every vote counts, and, and we're encouraging uh, farmers and people who rely on agriculture uh, to reach out to their members of Congress. Really easy way to do it. Uh, you can text the phrase USMCA to the number 52886. Uh, if you text USMCA to 52886, we'll send you a link. You put in your address, it'll pull up your member of Congress. You can send a letter from your phone. It's that easy. It takes you two minutes. Brian, we've heard repeatedly that there's enough votes to pass it if it would come up for a vote. I find this very frustrating that it hasn't yet been brought up for a vote. I mean, somebody doesn't want it to. Uh, what's it going to take to get that vote? I mean, Nancy Pelosi has been kind of telling us along, you know, uh, she wants to see it happen, wants to get it done. But, uh, uh, and, you know, until we actually see the vote called, it seems like that's kind of just uh, stringing us along here. Well, you're right. People are very nervous about it. Now, you know, we've met with Speaker Pelosi. She's, she seems very positive that she wants to get a deal. But you're right, the proof's in the pudding, and, uh, and we've got to see that, that bill come to the floor. That's another reason for people to contact their members of Congress. You need to be asking your member of Congress to talk to Speaker Pelosi, especially if your member's a Democrat. Talk to Speaker Pelosi. Ask that the bill come to the floor, because we are cautiously optimistic. If we get it to the floor, we'll get it through. I would think it would be difficult for House Democrats running for re-election to go home on Christmas break uh, to have to explain a vote on impeachment and not having a vote on USMCA. I, I, I wouldn't think they would look forward to that. I, I think that's right. You know, I, I also think it's important, you know, to also take it out of the politics at some point, you know, for be it Democrats or Republicans in farm districts, trade is important for the farmers in your districts. We've got farm bankruptcies going up. We've got farm suicides going up. Farm country is in crisis, and we need to turn that around. And one of the ways we can turn it around is with passage of the USMCA, and another way we can turn it around is by ending the trade war with China. Those are both important things that have to happen. And, uh, and members of Congress, be you, whether you're Republican or Democrat, doesn't much matter. You need to be in support of farmers at this point in time. We're talking with Brian Keogh, co-executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. All right, Brian, you said you've talked with uh, House Speaker Pelosi and others in Congress. What is holding it up? What are the biggest stumbling blocks still? Well, so the, the big issues have been labor enforcement, which you mentioned. That's primarily with respect to Mexico. Uh, drug pricing has been a big issue, and then to a smaller degree, there's been some environmental topics. You know, what we've heard and what's been reported in the papers is that Speaker Pelosi and Ambassador Lighthizer have made a lot of progress. They've taken the, their their tentative agreements back out to Mexico and Canada because those countries would have to scrub them. So, you know, it, it feels like it's moving in the right direction, but as you said, time is not our friend. We can't have this drag into 2020. We've got to get it done now. Yeah, we've heard it's moving in the right direction for weeks and months now. It seems like these issues could have been addressed, could have been uh, uh, taken care of by now. I wholeheartedly agree. And, uh, you know, again, trade trade deals tend to happen uh, at the end of a session. You know, whether it's Congress or your, your college student, you know, people tend to procrastinate and do things on a deadline. 
and uh, and we're hoping that in this case Congress will will move it and not fumble the football. How quickly can it happen? Uh, is every is all the paperwork been uh, submitted by the administration? I mean, is it just a matter of calling the vote and having it? The administration hasn't sent the bill up to the Hill yet, uh, uh, in part because the Democrats have asked them not to. They want to finish the negotiation before a bill goes up to the Hill. But our sense is it can happen fairly quickly. And, and I think if you think about the politics, if President Trump and Speaker Pelosi are on the same page, both endorsing a bill, odds are it's going to happen. You know, there, there will be some on the fringes in both parties who won't like it, will find reasons to vote against it. But that's a pretty big signal that we've, we've made a bill that, that has political staying power. So I, I think that's the critical hump. We've got to get to a point where Speaker Pelosi says she'll bring it to the floor, indicating she's supporting the bill or at least finds it acceptable to her caucus. And I, I think at that moment everything can move pretty quickly. I understand not rushing into something as big as this, but when you've had a deal basically sitting there to look at for, what, a year, it seems like there's been more than enough time to uh, address the concerns and vote on it. And if you don't like it or if you have problems with it, you don't vote for it, but at least have the vote. Again, absolutely right, Mike. And and, and remember, too, um, what we're talking about is an update to NAFTA. So, so we have an underlying trade agreement with Mexico and Canada, the USMCA builds on that and modernizes it. It makes it better in a bunch of respects. So I think you're hard-pressed, whether you're from labor or environment or agriculture or automakers, whatever your sector, whatever your, your interests, you're hard-pressed to say that this is a bad deal when what it's doing is improving on NAFTA. You can criticize NAFTA and say, well, I didn't like the underlying deal. But that's what the law is. That's what's in place now. What we're talking about is can we make it a bit better? And really, you're going to vote against something? You're going to let the enemy be the, or the perfect be the enemy of the good? That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Are labor unions opposing it, or what's their position right now on it? No, to the contrary. I mean, labor has been remarkably quiet. You know, there have been past trade deals where labor has really taken to the barricades and said, you know, they're, over their dead body will a bill pass. That's not been their posture here. And again, I think it's because everyone understands this is better than what we have today. It has better labor standards in Mexico. That's important because if if Mexico has a minimum wage and the right to have unions, that makes it harder for companies to send jobs to Mexico because they're more similar to our employment standards. That's kind of the whole theory. We want to make sure Mexico labor standards are more similar to U.S. labor standards so that there's not that incentive to push jobs south. Um, so from a union perspective, this is better than NAFTA, and I, I think that's why unions have been largely quiet. They're, I think, holding out, trying to get more concessions, but at some point we got to get a deal or risk the whole thing tumbling down. Do you get a feeling that there are some looking for reasons to oppose it rather than looking for reasons to support it? Oh, I think there certainly are. Um, yeah, I would I would think there are some, some uh, members and, and, you know, some Democrats who probably don't want to give Trump a win. But I think, you know, as we've traveled around farm states, I think Democrats from farm states are not in that category. I think, you know, you think about Representative Axney as an example from Iowa. She sent a letter to Pelosi yesterday expressing her nervousness that we haven't brought the bill to the floor and saying, we've got to get this to the floor. So 
So I, I think you look at uh, people like Representative Axney, like uh, Sherry Bustos from, from Illinois, who are showing leadership and are pushing to get this deal done. Well, hopefully we'll get it done soon. Brian, thank you very much. Good, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Brian Keel, co-executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. Up next, we'll talk markets with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. Stay with us here on AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Reports that Chinese officials will waive import tariffs on some soybeans and pork shipments from the U.S. said to be a positive sign for U.S. traders who hope this means that a trade deal is near. Reuters News reporting that Chinese officials say they'll waive import tariffs on some soybeans and pork shipments from the U.S., though it remains unclear as to which products those waived tariffs will apply to. Pork exports to China right now face a normal 12% duty and 60% retaliatory tariffs, while soybean exports to China face a 25% tariff. Soybean futures an hour into the day trending 3 to 4 cents higher. January contract up 3 at 887 and a quarter. March up 3 and a quarter at 902. In corn, the March contract steady at 376 and three quarters of a cent. On the downside, a sell-off and close below support at 373 could signal a resumption of the recent downtrend. In Chicago wheat, the March contract down two and a quarter at 521 and a half. Kansas City March down a penny at 434 and a half. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March a penny higher at 514 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, February contract a dime higher at 124.70. Feeder cattle March contract near unchanged at 141.12. Lean hog futures, February contract 87 cents higher, 68.45. Outside markets, the Dow up 266 points, S&P 500 up 26, crude oil up $1.11. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Uh, In the news today, the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation have filed a legal challenge to California's Proposition 12. That imposes animal housing standards not only in California, but any uh, state or any producer in any other state wanting to sell into the California market. So again, that is being challenged, California's Prop 12 being challenged by the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation. We will have much more on that coming up on Monday. 
Right now, though, we're going to talk it over with Rich Morrison, Senior Risk Analyst for Diversified Services. Rich, thanks for joining us. I know you've been uh, doing quite a bit of traveling and uh, talking with some of the folks uh, in in crop insurance. Uh, what are you hearing? Well, uh, everybody's ready for 2019 to be behind us, I think. Uh, I think that's the general consensus around the country. Uh, still a lot of uh, corn uh, left to be harvested. Uh, the folks I've talked to in North Dakota and Michigan this week, Wisconsin a little bit, still telling me they're really waiting for the cold weather to, to really settle in so that maybe they can get back in the field and, and start to get some of this remaining crop out. A long and late harvest is getting longer and later all the time, which means it's going to be a while before we really have final numbers on this year's crop. Yeah, normally January, of course, will be the final uh, production estimates from USDA, but uh, that'll be difficult. I think that'll still be a bit of a, a dart throw this year. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see some changes out into the spring and even by summer in some of the residual categories to make up for maybe some adjustments uh, in the production this year. What are you hearing about concerns with that crop that's still in the field as far as quality is concerned? Well, test weight, uh, number one, uh, guys are saying 44 to 52 pounds is what I was hearing out of North Dakota this week, uh, telling me that the moisture, if it's below 25, you're lucky. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to handle. I uh, don't know what uh, usage it'll apply for necessarily. Uh, I would imagine feed, but uh, and you would have to think that, uh, that the feed, you know, utilization would be uh, – not as great on on that lighter corn, so it'll take more more pounds to feed uh, feed animals. So you would think disappearance would be a little bit larger. Therefore, so uh, just concerns in general. I, I guess as long as the crop is standing, uh, you know it's free storage, but uh, there, it's just going to be difficult trying to do something with it. Millions of acres unharvested as we approach the end of the year. The market seems to shrug that off, though. I guess for right now, I, I do think we're seeing some impact on the basis in some areas, uh, mm-hmm. seeing some very strong basis levels. Of course, I, I guess doing the math, we've got about a billion and a half bushels of corn still left in the field. Uh, our carryout at the end of the year is supposed to be 1.9 or so billion. So most of our ending stocks are still standing in the field. And, and in some areas, I think that's been very, very supportive to basis levels, uh, especially in the eastern belt where the uh, – you know, a lot of the ethanol plants are having to bid up to try to source some corn that might have been coming out of southern Michigan and some other places, northern Ohio. So uh, we're seeing some, you know, a lot of that reaction more in the basis, not so much in the futures market. Well, let's talk about that dynamic because that's that's interesting. That's where the market action really is, is uh, at the basis level. Uh, the it, it depends on whether you're selling or buying, obviously. Good news if you're selling and somebody really wants it, but... Uh, uh, let's talk about the other side of it, those trying to buy grain and the need to bid up for it. What what does that do to some of them? Well, certainly it uh, it messes with your uh, your company P&L if you're trying to run an ethanol plant or something like that. And you, you know, you had normal basis levels budgeted in, and now you're having to bid up to buy the grain. So, But I do think we saw, you know, some preemptive buying here late summer, uh, certainly that had a lot to do with the uh, the rally in the basis in the eastern belt as uh, some of those producers uh, or some of the uh, plants decided they needed to get ownership. So, uh, you know, some of that happened ahead of time, but, uh, I, you know, certainly we've got to have additional 
purchases throughout the year. Most plants don't hold enough grain to uh, to grind all year round, so they've got to continue to keep the flow going. We're talking with Rich Morrison, senior risk analyst for Diversified Services. So, Rich, as we look now at the at the at the futures trade. Do you see any rally, uh, anything coming up between now and the end of the year, uh, short of um, a major announcement like with China? Uh, no, not really. I have to be uh, real short with an answer, but it's it just it, it, we've had a difficult time competing in the export market, especially in corn. Uh, we did see a sale announced this morning to Mexico. That's a positive, but it, it's taken a setback in the futures market of 20-some cents to try to get get competitive now and a lot of that has to do with currency valuations as well so as long as the dollar continues to be strong it's to me it looks like it's going to be difficult to get uh, get this market to really get much of an upside saw a story today a prediction a forecast uh, that we're going to be locked into a 350 360 range for corn do you think do you agree with that well that's kind of ugly but uh you know the numbers that usda came out with here uh what last month in their long-term projections uh, for the next 10 years i think they had like a 344 to, or 345 to 365 range uh i know fabry i think had come out with some numbers uh, maybe today as well so a lot of people expecting of course with you know additional acres uh, getting planted next year that you know that we'd be looking at a growth in stocks in the year ahead so that's uh, we've been looking at that here for a few months, uh, anticipating that some of these prevent plant acres are going to come back into production, and and uh, so from a price management perspective, uh, you know this four dollar corn for next year has had looked very attractive, and we're slipping below that as we speak. So does that mean more bean acres? Well, probably uh, I would imagine more of both next year. Uh, you know, if we we were down about sixteen million acres total planted ground this year versus the previous year. I don't know if all of that will come back into production. I do think that there's already a little bit of prevent plant talk up in the Dakotas because of the late uh, harvest this year. But uh, certainly if we pick up an extra 13, 14 million acres total next year, that a lot of that majority will probably go to corn and soybeans. We talked earlier in the program with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey about the uh, CRP sign-up starting on Monday. I would think there's going to be a lot of interest in that. Probably would be more attractive if some of the numbers, some of the bids are pretty decent. I would think that there's going to be some uh, some of this marginal land probably uh, be competing for some of that CRP contract. You know, we assume we'll get a lot of those acres back into production next year that were prevent plant this year, but that's assuming the weather will be better next year. I mean, that's our hope, but uh, we don't know. Well, that certainly is a major assumption. Uh, yeah, we can't guarantee anything but uh, certainly we would think that this year was an aberration and that we'll uh, be able to bring more of that land back into production next year we'll see uh, you know like we mentioned that uh, like up in the Dakotas right now there is some concern already uh, that uh, if this crop can't get out of the field that they're, they're going to be behind the eight ball uh, plus the fact that they've had significant snowfall already this year and I know the folks Are you still there, Rich? I think we no, lost it, you. It's really going to push them back next spring. Yeah. Um, you know, we let's look at beans. We yes, came I into am. this. Yep. We came. We came into this year with it, worried about supply. You know, the big surplus, and then we had uh, uh, Mother Nature gave us uh, a set aside this year that we weren't counting on. weren't really. You know, people weren't wanting, but it happened. Uh, so we 
we had that reduction, but was it enough to make a big difference? We ha- we haven't seen the jump in price that you might have thought if at the beginning of the year if you said we're going to cut production this much or take this much land out of production, we're going to see a bigger jump than we've seen. How do you look back on that? I mean, that, that's a big story of 2019. Yeah, I, I think that it really, in soybeans especially, just offset what we lost in demand from China. Uh, and that came back from the from the African swine fever issue. So, you know, the, the good and the bad, I guess, uh, you know, that we, we were able to reduce supply and basically to, to reduce stocks, at least some, even in the face of that reduced Chinese demand. So, uh We've asked the question to a lot of folks, you know, where would prices be today if we would have gotten all those acres planted and you had the African swine fever issue along with the tariffs, uh, you know, could have been pretty ugly right now. You know, we talk a lot about the trade war with China. We know it's hurt. But in reality, even if we weren't in that trade war because of African swine fever, we'd have probably been selling less soybeans to them anyway, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Yeah, it would have come down to competition with Brazil and, and uh, you know, with Brazilian currency, the real trading at historic lows, uh, it, it would be very, as it has been, very difficult to compete with South America. So I, I don't know that things would have changed a whole lot from where we're at. We might have seen a, a few more exports and maybe a slightly lower stock number at the end of the year, but it probably wouldn't have been dramatically lower. And what are you hearing out of South America for their planting? Uh, sounds like Brazil's doing well. Uh, they've had some recent rains and have more in the forecast, and most of the crop is in the ground, the first crop. So I think Brazil off to a pretty good start. Uh, Argentina turning a little dry, and uh, their forecast the next 10 days that I'm looking at uh, looks like not much precipitation. So if there's a, a worry area, maybe it is Argentina. I think I'd seen that they're about half done planting corn, and I would imagine soybeans probably in that neighborhood as well. So maybe some slowness uh, waiting for a little bit of precipitation in that part of the world. And I think Informa came out with their numbers this week, and uh, uh, they lowered some Argentine production estimates for this year. So, um, so maybe there's a bright spot potentially for the market there. All right, Rich, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yep, thank you, Mike. Take care. Rich Morrison, Senior Risk Analyst for Diversified Services. Well, is this uh, propane situation settled or we still have some big challenges? We'll talk about that with Michael Newland with the Propane Education Research Council next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. 
Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, one of the many challenges for 2019 has been getting propane to the areas that need it, especially for grain drying as well as uh, uh, home heating. Um, a lot of areas, especially in the upper Midwest, have had a real difficulty with this. Let's uh, talk about where we're at now and the efforts to address this with Mike Newland. He is Director of Ag Business Development for the Propane Education and Research Council. Mike, thanks for joining us. What is the situation right now Um has it been alleviated or getting close, or where are we? Well, I think, uh, good morning, first of all. I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I think we're getting better. Um, the industry, it's all hands on deck and has been for months here. Um, but I think there's some good news. We're monitoring the crop progress every month, or every, excuse me, every week, uh, to see if we're going to start get, seeing some relief from some of the other states to where we can... Uh, you know, pull less in some areas for grain drying and, and we'll allow some other areas to pull more. You know, I guess uh, as I'm sitting here staring at the numbers that came out of uh, USDA this week, I think there's some good news. The uh, the I states, if you will, are making progress um, to, the, to the point where they're in the low 90s on corn harvest. Um, so, so that's a huge huge benefit for the folks in the upper Midwest, I think, that are trying to finish up and uh, still run the grain dryers and still heat buildings and so on and so forth. So, you know, um, your, your immediate state to the to the east, Minnesota, is over 90%. That's a big deal. Uh, so I think we are seeing some progress. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska yesterday, and uh, just up and down the highway, there's transports everywhere, moving propane. So... The industry has reacted. We do have, still have uh, hours of service waivers in place. Uh, we can keep extra trucks on the road longer. So um, the industry has really rallied. Uh, we've got a lot of active propane, state propane gas associations in your part of, of the country, and I know those folks have been working with the state governments and uh, doing everything that they can to have meaningful conversations with the pipeline companies as well. So... Uh, I think it's been all hands on deck. If there's a silver lining to come out of this, I, I, our industry has responded at every level possible. And honestly, it's uh, all trying to take care of our customers at the farm gate level. So the steps that have been taken to help address the issue, they've, they've been in reaction to uh, a problem, which we were told that it wasn't a supply issue. It was a logistical issue of transporting and moving the propane, getting it to where it needs to be. So... Given that, was this avoidable? Could it have been avoided? And looking to the future, how do we keep it from happening again? Well, that, that's a great question. You know, currently what we're doing is trying to get through through the situation and get everybody to fuel as fast as we can. 
in the future. Uh, we've got, in fact, we're starting to schedule some meetings uh, uh, for the first quarter of, of 2020. We want to talk to some of those folks, uh, just sit down and brainstorm, you know, kind of recap what happened, why it happened, uh, and can we do some things in the future to alleviate it. One thing that we've done internally, we've created a uh, demand model, a, gr- a grain drying demand model that uh, is down to the USDA crop district level for the entire Corn Belt. And so I think we're, we're generating some tools that could help signal sooner uh, but it still comes down to logistics. You know, we've got plenty of fuel, and that's that's the disheartening part. We've got plenty of fuel in the country. Uh, we're just struggling to get it where it needs to go based on how fast it's being used. The one thing I will share with you, Mike, the, the model is, is very good at picking up, um, you know, the intense dra- uh, demand, and it is, from uh, western Indiana all the way up through your parts of the country and the Dakotas and Minnesota. I mean, it was a big, a big pull this year uh, to the point where it was 20 to 25 plus percent higher demand than normal in every one of those areas. So, you know, this is one of those, I hate to call it or equate it to a 500-year flood type event, but I mean, that's, that's the levels of things that we're dealing with from a from a volume standpoint, um, but we're gonna we're gonna take a hard look at what what can be done. You know, we'll have conversations with some of the bigger wholesale companies throughout the Midwest, throughout the Corn Belt. We just want to talk, having good conversations, and see what learnings there are. Uh, it's a bad situation. We're working hard to correct it internally, but uh, I think we've got to we've got to take uh, the opportunity to assess what happened. And, is there something down the road? Should we see an event like this again that we can learn from? I mean, we've heard so much about competition for the pipeline. Can that be addressed, or or will you have to take other measures? Well, uh, the uh, National Propane Gas Association uh, is working with our state propane gas associations. There's conversations going on with governor's offices around the Midwest, and that's that's an area I don't get into, but I know those conversations are happening. And, and I think you're right. We've had some meaningful conversations uh, with those organizations and the pipelines this fall, and um, but but those are shared pipelines, and I know that that's, uh, you know, those, those pipelines aren't sitting inactive 12 months a year or, or eight months a year and waiting on green, green grind to start. So... Uh, they're moving product all the time, and it's a function of getting your spot in, in the pipe. And uh, so that's the challenge that, uh, that our industry uh, really is, is trying to overcome with that with that organization. All right, Mike, thanks for the update, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Absolutely. You bet. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Take care. Mike Newland, Director of Ag Business Development for the Propane Education and Research Council. So, they're still working on it, and hopefully this year will be a, a learning experience that the industry can deal with this, and we won't have to have this in the future. Even if this was a unique situation, there's no guarantee it won't happen again next year or some year uh, in the future. So hopefully this can be addressed moving forward. We'll have more on this propane issue uh, than the story uh, next week. 
Well, that's going to do it for today. We'll wrap things up for the week. Next week, we'll be next Monday, we'll be talking with Senator Grassley, get a Washington update, and we'll talk more about that the legal challenge to California's Prop 12. We'll get into that as well. And of course, next Tuesday, I'll be at the uh, DTN Ag Summit in Chicago. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions.